Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Money's a funny thing. Have you noticed that? It kind of changes us. We do all kinds of things to earn it, to keep it, to increase it, and then we spend it. Money's a funny thing. I thought of that when I read the story of three shop owners. They were right next door to each other in a strip mall. Business was not going well. They all needed money for the holidays. And so the shop owner on the end of these three shops that sold similar wares put up a sign one day in large letters that said, Annual Closeout Sale, promising great prices. Well, obviously, the pressure was on now for the other two shop owners, so the shop owner at the other end responded in kind. And he put up a huge sign that said, Going Out of Business Sale. Well, now the one in the middle was really feeling the heat. He thought, I'm going to lose all my customers to these two, and I need the money. And then he came up with an idea, and he erected a huge sign right over his door that simply said, Main Entrance. (laughs) (laughs) Money's a funny thing. We'll do all kinds of things to earn it, increase it, and keep it. In fact, I read of a woman, apparently a true story, in New York City some years ago who struck upon an idea of how she could make some extra money. I read that New York City has somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 million cats and 11 million dogs. Now, you understand New York City is a concrete jungle. So when your beloved pet expires, you can't go out in the backyard and set up a little monument and dig a hole in the ground. You can't do that. And so the city made it possible for $50. They said, we will, in a most loving manner, take care of the issue. Well, this woman thought, I can do better than that. She ran an ad in the newspaper, said, I will deal with your loving pet for $25. And then she went down to the Salvation Army for about two bucks a piece, bought a bunch of suitcases. And whenever a call came in, she would take the suitcase, she would go to the house, she would lovingly lay the animal in the suitcase, close it up, get on the crowded subway, and then forget to watch the suitcase. And sure enough, somebody would grab it, and off they would go, and she would go, thief. Oh, well. And off she would go home, $25 richer, with no problem on her hands. It's strange what money does to us, how we try to get it, how we try to earn it and keep it and increase it. I was even struck by how it can change our perspective. I read about it in the story of the old American football league. It was an upstart league that ultimately got folded into the NFL, but before that happened, they were trying their luck at having another football league. And one year they met for a dinner, big crowd was gathered to celebrate what they had done, and the story was told later by the late Al Davis, owner of the Oakland Raiders. 
He said, we were sitting at the table, and there at the table was Nicky Hilton, and we were all envious of Nicky Hilton because we had been told that he had made $100,000 in baseball in Los Angeles. $100,000 was a lot of money in that day and time. So Nicky was introduced. He got up to speak. They told about him, told what he had made there in Los Angeles. He got up, and he said, thank you very much, but I do need to correct that. It's not quite accurate. He said, first of all, it wasn't me. It was my brother, Baron. And it wasn't in Los Angeles. It was in San Diego. And it wasn't in baseball. It was in football. And it wasn't $100,000. It was a million dollars. And he didn't make it. He lost it. (laughs) How do you get that skewed? I don't know. I guess money and what it does and its stories changes things. Now, you know that money can be the source of a great deal of conflict. In fact, surveys and studies pretty consistently indicate that for couples, the number one reason for conflict is money. Exactly. Maybe that's what drove one beleaguered husband to say to his wife, there's no point in us arguing about money anymore because we have none left. (laughs) It's all gone. We don't have to fight any longer. Well, it's right there on that point, that sense of having nothing left that we begin today. Dare I say to you that in this book, there's enough evidence to say that God cares about your financial condition. Now, I find that remarkable. I don't know why. I guess it's because I think of the God of the universe the God of Bethlehem, the God of Calvary, and all that must draw his attention, that it strikes me as remarkable to be able to say to you, your financial condition matters to God. He cares about it. I'm not saying God promises to make you rich or any such thing. I'm not saying that God will provide you a way out of poverty today or tomorrow or next week. What I am saying is God cares about your financial situation. Now, as you know, we're in a series, the third part, three-part series, entitled Divine Sense and Human Sense. And we have been looking at the book of Proverbs, that Old Testament book, searching for divine wisdom. Is there any wisdom contained in this book, we've been asking, that might guide us in our financial living? The first week, we saw there was. Because the old wise man said, honor the Lord with your substance, with your wealth. And he calls on us to make sure that we return to God what is rightfully his out of the gratitude springing up in our hearts. That made sense. And then last week, we discovered that there's quite a bit in this book that tells us to be attentive to the needs of the poor. In fact, so close a connection does God draw between himself and the poor that he says, when you do it for them, it's as though you're doing it for me. But after we consider those two realities, there's a third question, one that naturally arises. Well, God, I've been faithful to you. I've I've honored the Lord with my substance. I've shared as I can with those in need around me. But God, I, I have a house payment, car payment. My kids are in school. What about my needs? 
What about my financial situation? And so we turn to that this morning in Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27, page 986 in your pew Bible. Could it be that wisdom written several thousand years ago in a totally foreign kind of culture, in a whole different economy, could it be that it might have something to say to us today? Well, we're going to read and find out. So Proverbs chapter 27, beginning in verse 23. It says this, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your women servants. It's talking about an agrarian culture and lifestyle. But I want to suggest to you that contained within that is wisdom for our financial condition. In fact, even though he's talking about fields and harvests and goats and wool and all those kinds of things, understand that the wise man here is actually writing about the economic situation of the reader. It's just a different way in which it was done than our day and time, but the issue is still the same. I want to suggest that the passage we have just read could be aptly summarized with three words. Three words. The first word is assess. Assess. Take stock of. Check out. Be thoughtful about. Assess. Notice the first verse we read again. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Be sure you know. Give careful attention to. In other words, assess the reality of the situation in which you find yourself. You need to assess it because difficult days will come ahead and you need to know where you stand. So assess. Now, were the wise man to be able to stand here today and talk to us about what he would want us to do, his questions, his points would be different because we're in a different economy. But I suspect in saying assess, he would say something like this. He would say, as he has said, be careful to know, give careful attention to. He would say, take careful stock of where you stand financially. Be responsible about it. Take a careful look at it. Ask yourself honest questions. What do we have? What do we owe? What have we saved? How well prepared are we for a downturn? What about our retirement? What is the situation in which we currently find ourselves? Take careful stock, says the old sage. Assess. That's an important reality. 
Because any positive or healthy way forward begins with an accurate assessment of where we stand today in the same way as is, as is true with a physician or a dentist or a physical therapist or many other professionals. Before you go to treatment plan, you begin with a careful assessment. What is the current situation? For our finances, we don't always do that. It's easy to ignore it, especially if they're not in the greatest of shape. In fact, a couple of researchers got to thinking about such things, and they wanted to do a, an experiment, a bit of research on something called inattentional, inattentional, meaning I don't pay attention to it, inattentional blindness. They were researching how easy it is to be blind to or to ignore things that are right in front of us unless we give them careful attention. So here's what they did. Inspired by an old YouTube video, they went out and found a sidewalk where a tree was growing beside the sidewalk with a branch that came down just about head height. And on that branch, they clipped money. Who said money doesn't grow on trees? They clipped money on the branch. And then they stood back and they watched and they counted the number of passersby that came along that way. During the time of their experiment, they counted 396 passersby. Now, 12 of them were so inattentionally blind, they actually ran into the branch. Didn't even know it was there until it hit them. After that, most of them didn't notice the money. In fact, they kept track of the ones who happened to be on cell phones. As they came walking down the sidewalk, cell phones, 94% of them never saw the money. There were a few who saw it and who were glad they saw it. But it led the researchers to make this astute observation. Unless you're paying attention, you miss things. <laughs> well, I could have told them that, and so could you. But it underlined the reality that if we are to know the reality of our situation in any regard, but certainly financially, we must take stock. Assess. Now, don't say, well, because somebody is not well off or because somebody is really well off, that means the difference. I have concluded over the years of observation and living and counseling that the amount of money made does not have much to do with financial health and well-being. You have people who make apparently not that much who are doing quite well for their stage in life, and those who make a great deal who have little to no margin and are living paycheck to paycheck. And so the old wise man says, take careful stock. Assess where you are. Be honest about it. So what might we find? If we were to do that, a typical American, what might we discover? I want to read to you two statements that deal with just two pieces of taking stock. One is what we save. The other is what we owe. So let's begin with what we save. A CNBC report on August 28 of this year, so just two, three months ago, says this. A new study finds the median, that means half of us are below this and half of us are above this, a new study finds the median American household has $4,830 in savings. That's enough to cover minor emergencies and potentially even a few months of living expenses. 
Almost 30% of households have less than $1,000 saved. Magnify money fines, though the amount varies drastically by age. As of June 2018, millennials have less saved than baby boomers because older Americans have had over three decades longer to save and larger salaries to work with. Here's how Americans' median savings breaks down by age. Millennials, 1981 to 98, $2,430 saved. Gen Xers, born 65 to 80, 15780 Baby boomers and older, before 64, 24280 Now, I don't know where you find yourself on that scale. But I do have a question. Are you putting something away for a rainy day? When you sit down and do an assessment, knowing that hard times will come, that retirement will come, are you being a responsible follower of Christ? Typical American, not in the greatest shape when it comes to savings. Well, what about that other reality? <clears throat> How much we owe? Where do we stand with that? Matthew Frankel, a certified financial planner, writes this. U.S. consumers owe a total of $905 billion on their credit cards, according to a recent analysis by personal finance website NerdWallet. This translates to $7,136 per household, a 2.8% increase over a year ago. However, not all, all households have credit card debt, so this doesn't tell the full story. On average, households that carry credit card debt owe more than twice this amount. If you only consider households that have credit card debt, the average jumps to a much more alarming $15,624.02. In other words, a typical American... If he or she were to follow what the wise man is saying, to take careful stock, to pay careful attention to what they have, may emerge with a picture that is not all that positive. So we come asking, asking the old sage, what would you have us do? I think three words summarize the passage we read, and the first one is assess. Do an honest assessment. But there's a second word. I think the second word that captures part of the reality of this passage is the word save. Save. I want to go back and read two verses of the passage, verse 23 and verse 24. Now understand that the reason verse 23 is there is because of verse 24. You'll see in a moment. So read it with me. Proverbs 27, starting with 23, what we just read. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Do an assessment. Why? That comes in 24. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Why be so careful to understand where you stand? The wise man says, because even if you're in a very good position, that's not guaranteed. It doesn't last forever. In fact, that second part of that verse, one version translates it by saying, even nations don't last forever. So if nations don't last forever, don't count on your riches 
lasting forever. The implication being, so save. Be careful with what you have. Now that's reflected in other Proverbs in this same book. In fact, maybe the best known proverb of all along those lines is in chapter 6. You remember it. Some of you, when, when you were kids, the age of the kiddos that came up here for the children's story, you may have learned it as a memory verse. It goes something like this. Go to the ant, you lazy person. Remember that one? Consider her ways and be wise. She has no leader, no overseer, yet, what does it say? She stores up provisions. And then my paraphrase, because she knows the winter is coming. That word, she stores. She saves. She's attentive to the fact that there won't always be abundance, that there won't always be something available, and so she has the wisdom, an ant, the wise man says, to take care of her future. So save. Now, I got to thinking about this, and I thought, we have a community here, community of faith, where many, if not most, of us are working outside the home, we have a community of faith that has earning power, earning ability. Would this have any application to us? In other words, why would it be that somebody wouldn't save? And I got to thinking, there might be two objections that people would have to saving. Two reasons why they would say, I, I can't do that. One would be, they say, I don't make enough or my margin is too small. I can't. Can't afford it. Cannot afford to save. That's quite a common objection, by the way. Probably one of the more common objections as to why people don't save. If that's your objection, think carefully about that. Because even a small amount, consistently saved, over time, grows remarkably. Years ago, Anita and I discovered that if you just have it automatically withdrawn and then forget that it's there, it's like mold. It grows in the dark. You come back another day and say, whoa, what happened? That was just a little bit, and it's grown. Take, it for example, Osceola McCarty. Osceola McCarty lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Osceola McCarty, who in her professional life only did one thing for years and decades. One thing. She did other people's laundry. She did the laundry for the wealthy families in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. She made 50 cents a load. Now, think about that. You think, well, you load the washer and you wait, and when it's done, well, made 50 cents. But no, she said, I don't want to do laundry and those new machines. I want to do them on the washboard. And so Osceola McCarty would do load after load of laundry on the washboard and get paid 50 cents. From every one of those loads, Osceola saved. She put money away, just kept putting it away and putting it away and putting it away. And it grew. The time of her retirement came Osceola went to her bank and spoke with her banker. How much do I have, she asked. Her banker checked the records and came back and said, Ms. McCarty, you have saved, and it has grown with interest, but you have saved $250,000. And Osceola said, how can that be? That's a lot of money. 
She said, absolutely. She says, I don't need all that money. And so Osceola took 150000 of her 250000 and donated it to the University of Southern Mississippi to set up a scholarship fund for underprivileged African-American children to be able to go to school. Fifty cents a load. I wonder if we were to say, if I were to say to Osceola, oh, I'm sorry, I can't afford to save. I wonder, she has now passed. But were she still living, and were she to stand up here today and talk with us about savings, and we say we can't afford to save, I think she'd say to us, really? You make less than 50 cents a load? The excuse kind of grows dry in our mouths. So the old wise man says, tough times will come. Make sure you know where you stand, and then take care of your future. But I'm not sure I can. I can't afford it. I don't make enough. That's one excuse. But there's a second issue that I think may arise, particularly in a community like this, where we have many students and young professionals getting started in life. And that is, well, I'll do that some way further down the road. I mean, I'm just getting started now. I've got to pay back student loans. I've got to get started, get furniture, take care of them. I've got to do that stuff, so not right now. So just exactly when is the best time to begin? Well, again, a statement, this one from money.cnn.com. Listen to what it says. When should I start saving for retirement? The answer is simple. As soon as you can. Ideally, you'd start saving in your 20s when you first leave school and begin earning paychecks. That's because the sooner you begin saving, the more time your money has to grow. Each year's gains can generate their own gains the next year, a powerful wealth-building phenomenon known as compounding. Here's an example of what a big difference starting young can make. Say you start at age 25 and put aside $3,000 a year in a tax-deferred retirement account for 10 years, and then you stop saving Completely. You stop after 10 years. By the time you reach 65, your $30,000 investment will have grown to more than $338,000, assuming a 7% annual return, even though you didn't contribute a dime beyond age 35. Now, let's say you put off saving until you turn 35 and then save $3,000 a year, the same amount, only this time for 30 years, three times as long. By the time you reach 65, you will have set aside $90,000 of your own money, but it will only grow to about $303,000, assuming the same annual return. That's a huge difference. You've invested three times as much, over three times as long, and have about $35,000 less to show for it. So when is the best time to begin? Today. Being careful and attentive about the future. It's curious to me that if you take on balance the book of Proverbs, it not only is concerned about our faithfulness to God, not only is concerned about our care for the poor, it's also concerned about us living responsibly so that our care does not become somebody else's problem. No time to begin like now. I think the imagery of this proverb is particularly keen. When you think about what it says about the harvest and the lambs and the goats, here's what the wise man is describing. 
In that economy, once you had the harvest and it was all put into the barns and you were living off of that, the time would come when it was time to replant. And then you had to wait for it to grow and you had to wait for another harvest time to arrive. In the meantime, what you had on hand could grow smaller and smaller. He says, during that time, while it's all done and you're waiting for the next... Then the goats and the lambs that you have cared for, they will get you through. I saw that when I was a young pastor. Young pastor in Texas, in Austin, Texas. At that time, we got paid one time a month. It didn't take me too many one-time-a-month payments to realize. I've got to be really careful the first week or two because if not, that third and fourth week is slim pickings. That's what the wise man is saying. At the beginning, you'll have an abundance, but just remember the time will come when you're waiting for the harvest. Make sure you have cared for your flocks and herds so that they can provide for you as you wait. Save. So what is he calling us to do? I think three words. Assess, be honest. Save, be careful. And third, I think the third word, the best word to describe, the underlying meaning not only of this passage but of the whole book of Proverbs is this, trust. Trust. When you have been a faithful steward, when you have worked hard and cared well for what God has given you, remember it's a proverb, not a promise. The old wise man says, life tends to work out by your business working for you when you work for your business. And God will bless you in that way. I want to reread to you the passage this time in the late Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message that captures the essence of this. Listen how Peterson rendered it, to how he rendered it. Know your sheep by name. Carefully attend to your flocks. Don't take them for granted. Possessions don't last forever, you know. And then... When the crops are in and the harvest is stored in the barn, you can knit sweaters from lamb's wool and sell your goats for a profit. There will be plenty of milk and meat to last your family through the winter. The book of Proverbs time and again calls on us to have an attitude of trust toward God. It starts early in the book when the wise man says, lean on, do not lean on your own understanding, but put all your confidence in God, trusting Him in all your ways, and God will guide you and guard you. And that message appears and reappears and reappears yet again. And here he says, use wisdom in the way that God has blessed you. Be thoughtful about it. And he will keep you. To this day, I still wonder sometimes how it happened. I grew up in a home with a father who was a pastor, but for many years, over a quarter of a century, in fact, he was a missionary in Latin American countries. So we lived not only on a pastor's salary, but on a missionary pastor's salary. Times were tight often. I can remember having that sense. Mom and Dad didn't say too much about it, but I had that sense at times. I remember distinctly one period of time in our lives when things were very tight and very tough. 
We lived up on a little bit of a hill, and so I could look down, and I could see the, the woods, the forest beneath us. And I can still remember in my mind's eye my dad walking out through that forest in the early morning. And if I went and asked my mom, where is dad? Where is he going? She would say, your, your father's out praying. Praying. What's he praying about, mom? Well, but if I pressed, he's praying that God will provide, that God will care for us. Four children in our family. I don't know how he did it, how she did it. But we grew up. We're all educated. Didn't go hungry. I'm here today. God blessed people who were thoughtful, people who worked hard, people who honored God. And that's the kind of life to which the wise man calls us. It's the kind of financial situation to which he invites us. He says, if you're in a situation where you're uncertain about tomorrow, you're uncertain about how things are going, then begin by assessing carefully, thoughtfully, maybe getting some help to assess. We are in just over a month, in January, we're going to have a financial peace seminar. I hope you'll sign up if that would be helpful. Assess. And then he says, save. Find a way to put some aside. And then he says, trust. I am still surprised, still surprised by the reality that the God of the universe, the God who provides amply for our salvation and for the eternal future of humankind, I'm still surprised that that God cares. I'm surprised that the God of whom it could be said he owns the Cadillacs on a thousand freeways still says your financial situation matters to me. But it's true. The old wise man assures us of that. He calls us to live wisely, to give to God, to give to others, and then to be responsible. And now the choice, the choice really, is up to you and up to me. Will we assess? Will we save? Will we trust? The time has come that we can respond to the blessings that God has poured out upon us. We can respond by giving from what we have. And in so doing, we say thank you to God for the blessings that he has given to each of us.